Um, anyway, yeah, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We've been in the Gospel of John, and it's been a wonderful, I hope it's been a wonderful journey for you. It has been for me, just the privilege of taking a good long look at one of the books of the Bible that John is such a great literary piece. There's so many themes that run through the whole thing, such intentionality in how it has been put together. And sometimes it, we, we look at individual verses sometimes, but when we read for the whole, we can see some of the beauty that was intended by God and by the authors of these books. And we've come to a point in the, in the Gospel of John where Jesus has performed his seven signs, these, this, this complete number of signs, and now his hour has come, and he has, last week we looked at the foot washing and what Jesus was doing in serving, but now we're entering into what we might call a, um, a farewell discourse, um, a kind of an end-of-life um, uh, speech. And in, in Jewish custom, the, 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 last, the last testament, the last will, was usually a, a farewell speech. And in the Gospel of John, that farewell speech is what um, scholars will call the upper room discourse. Um, and it goes from chapter 14 to chapter 17, and not all of it takes place in the upper room, but it starts in the upper room, and so that's where it gets its name, these three chapters. And we're going to be spending, it's, as, as Lorraine was reading for us, and as you were kind of following along, you get the sense that every verse is like packed full of stuff, right? Like there's so much that can be unpacked. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take some themes in the upper room discourse, and we're going to be looking at them and see... What did Jesus think was important for his disciples to know that he would give this kind of weight, give the weight to it of the last words he was speaking to them while he was, um, before he was on the cross? And so what we want to do is just take kind of a look at this passage and see what it has for us. And one of the things about John chapter 14 and the Upper Room Discourse is it is one of the most clear places in the Bible that talks about this doctrine or this idea of God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what we would call the Trinity. And I know for some of you, you're already like, I just said something, I said doctrine and I said Trinity in the same breath, and so your eyes are starting to roll back in your head, and that's okay. I get that. Um, and the, the interesting thing about doctrine and about the Trinity, the Trinity like, hands up who understands the Trinity, right? No one, okay, you get the idea. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Dave. Um, the Trinity is like the catalytic converter in your car. Like, you know it's there, and you know it's important, and that people are stealing them, okay? Yeah, <laughs> right? You, you know it's important, and you know it's there, but you can't really explain why it's important or what it does. Anybody? I know Dave can. He's a mechanic. Okay. Everybody but Dave doesn't know. But you guys get the idea that we, we kind of have this sense about the Trinity. Whenever we talk about the Trinity, uh, super important. Like, we got to get it down right. But at the end of the day, like, how exactly does it work? Like, how do we understand this? Like, how do we do this? A lot of us, even if we were explained, like, even to me, even if Dave explained to me what my catalytic converter did, I don't think I would even understand it. Okay. So, yeah, thank you. Barbara understands that, too. So this idea, even with the Trinity, there is this sense in which, even if we were to, uh, uh, to have it explained, that it might not even land. And so what I want to do today, here's the thing. When you walk out those doors today, 
I want you to understand what is most important about the Trinity. And I will tell you this, you will walk out these doors today understanding what is the most important thing about the Trinity, okay? But before we get there, and I, you guys are like, promises, promises, I've heard this before, and look, to me, I've had people say that to me, and I walk out more confused than when I came in, okay? So I get it, I get it, and uh, usually the way this works, like, uh, most, of, most of the well-intentioned teaching in my lifetime, my Christian life, most of the well-intentioned teaching about the Trinity um, has been um, has been confusing to me. Usually there's some talk about like an egg or water, you know, an egg. You got shell, yolk, and white, right? Three in one. Or water. Water can be steam, and it can be gas, and liquid, and solid, ice, water, right? And you, you start hearing about this. The problem with all those analogies, or like Pert Plus shampoo, it's shampoo, conditioner, and detangler all in one. Anybody? Now, here's the problem with all these analogies, and here's, listen to me carefully, every analogy that you ever hear is heresy. They're all, they're all wrong, and I don't know why we start with analogies. It's like, let me tell you about the catalytic converter in your car, and you tell me exactly what it isn't, and I'm supposed to understand it that way? Okay, so here's the deal. Let me, let me just today, I want to walk through, I want to talk about this idea. Um, there's a place for analogies. Um, but there is, there is some issues that come with the Trinity. Now, oftentimes what we do, and I promise we're going to actually get to the text here, so hang on. You guys, you're like, my eyes are rolling back in my head one more time. So hang on, okay? So, and here we go. We're at the Westminster Confession of Faith. You're like, now I've really lost you. Hang with me, everybody. Okay, so in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And usually, so either we go with an analogy or we go with a doctrinal statement to explain the Trinity. And so in this, just in case you're keeping score at home, there are things that the three persons of the Trinity have in common, and that is that they are equal in substance. Traditionally speaking, you would say the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are either equal in substance or equal in essence. That's the language that's allowed, okay? Equal in substance, they are all deity. They are all divine. The same substance. They're all equal in power. They're all omnipotent. They all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in power, and that they are also equally eternal. That you cannot say that there was a time when one of them did not exist. It wasn't like God the Father created the Son. That's what we call Arianism. You can't say those things, that they are all equally eternal. Okay, you guys, you're, you're with me. All right, now here's, so let's, they are also different, the persons of the Trinity. They are different in person, and that's important too, that we don't say that they are different in mode, or they are different in, um, in, in well, we could say different in function, but different in person. And then they also have distinct functions about them. This is one of the things about the Trinity that I think is important, is that they all three do different things. They are responsible for different things. Now again, we can use analogies, or we can do this, like dry doctrinal teaching, okay? Just in case you guys were missing it, like what I just did is essentially what we like to call dry doctrinal teaching. And, you got, and, and, and we have yawning to prove it. Okay, so here's the deal. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to get at today. Where do we go? When Jesus wants us to understand 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, he neither uses an analogy nor does he talk doctrinal statements. And what I want to do today is just look at what he says in John 14 and ask the question, what does Jesus think is important about the Trinity? And as we read this, and as we understand, as we kind of walk through this passage, um, and, and here's, here's just a little disclaimer before we get, before we get into this. I mean, I've been here for about four and a half years, and every once in a while we'll come upon like a topic where I think for me it's been foundational. Like when we talked about the Psalms and we talked about seasons of orientation, disorientation, new orientation, like that's foundational for me in understanding how the Christian life works, okay? And what I want to do today is, what I'm going to give you, what I'm going to talk about today has been absolutely foundational for me about the way salvation works. In other words, the reason why the Trinity is important is because you cannot understand your salvation without understanding the Trinity. And you're like, well, I'm, you know, I, I'm, it's, it's over for me because I'm never going to understand the Trinity. Look, I think you will today, and I think you'll understand. Why is it, what does Jesus think is important about talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And here's the deal. So, so hang with me here. When we think about what does he, what does Jesus emphasize? And I got, like, if some of you guys take notes, and I'm, I'm even, mad, like, I'm flattering myself that you guys are, like, on the edge of your seat with your notes. Like, this is going to come kind of fast and furious, Okay. So it might be good to just take it in, and you're like, look, I, I didn't bring a pencil, Pastor Craig. Clue in. Okay, so here we go. That's okay. There's pens. We have new pens that are around if you want. But this is going to come kind of fast and furious, and here's the deal. When we talk about the Trinity, okay, when we talk about the Trinity, um, there's a reason why we go to analogies. There's a reason why we go to doctrinal statements. That's largely the Western church. We could go into Augustine and the Cappadocians in the Eastern Church and how Augustine changes the, the trajectory. We don't, okay, but we're not going to do that. Um, the Eastern Church tended to look at the, the, the Trinity, and I think Jesus does this as well, that the Trinity is a family. Okay, and this is what I want to put forth to you today. That God the Father, God is a Father, and He is your Heavenly Father. Again, when we think about the Trinity, we think about salvation at the same time. God the Father is your Father in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. That's, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, because it's true. Okay, God the Father is your Father in heaven. Jesus Christ is your elder brother. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he is not ashamed to call you and I brothers and sisters. We are co-heirs, only siblings share in the family inheritance. We are heirs. Adopt, he's, he's the true son, we're the adopted children, okay? But he is our elder brother. And then the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence in your life. God the Father is your heavenly Father, Jesus Christ is your elder brother, and the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. You're like, well, you said this is, this is supposed to be a family, Pastor Craig, and, and you're like, this doesn't look like my family. I don't have God's empowering, like, this does, like, I don't, Uncle, Uncle Lynn is not, you know, that's not, but here's the deal. Your family is not what, what a family is based on. The idea of family is not from your family. The idea of family is from God. 
God is the perfect family. Your family is an approximation of what real family looks like. The Trinity is the ultimate example of what family is. Every other family, in, in the book of Ephesians, it says, from, we pray, we, we lift our voice, we lift our prayers to God, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Family, the idea of family, comes out of God. And when we look at who God is, God is family. The, uh, the Trinity is a family. This is not an analogy. It's, and don't hear me. I did not say the Trinity is like a family. I said the Trinity is a family. <laughs> Siri, you know, what can you do? All right, so here's the deal. So the Trinity is a family. The Trinity is your family. And the question, and look at the, the language is largely familial, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit is a little bit different to us, but again, we are approximations of this. But here's the deal. The deal. If the Trinity is a family, what is important about this family is how it relates to each other. It's not analogies. It's not doctrinal statements. It is about relationships. And so this question, when Jesus, on the last night of Jesus' life, when he wants to put the, his weight behind these words, he explains largely how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate to each other. And what we're going to find is there is a richness in these relationships. So here's the question. Let's just start with this. If, look at John 14, 13. The question is, how does this family relate? So let's ask this question. What does the Father, I'm sorry, what does the Son think about the Father? What does the Son think about the Father? And this is what it says. It, he says this, whatever you ask in my name, this is Jesus speaking to his, his followers, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so this, this first thing is that if the Son had a purpose statement, if Jesus had a purpose statement, his purpose statement is, what have I come here to do? I have come here to glorify the Father. That is what I have come to do. That is my purpose. What I think about the Father, he should be glorified. A light should be shined on him. He, we should be not distracted, but we should call attention to God. That's one of our values, right? Removing distractions, calling attention to God. That's Jesus' purpose statement, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. I have come to reveal the Father. That is what the Son has come to do. So we think about this. So the Son loves, the, I love the Father. The Father's awesome. I want to glorify Him. So what does the Father then think about the Son? Well, there's a couple of things. If we look in John, if we just stay in John, in John 3.35, I'll get to this one in a second. In John 3.35, it says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Maybe a better way to look at it, look at the Matthew passage. In Matthew 3, you don't have to turn there. Matthew 3, it says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What does the father think about the son? The father is like, look at my son. I love my son. I am well pleased in my son. Actually, at the, at the baptism account, a voice from heaven comes down and says, this, this is my beloved son. Like he, This is what good fathers say about their sons. I love my son. This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased in my son. This is what good dads do. If we ever wonder what a good dad does, look at how the father relates to the son. He loves the Son. 
This is my beloved son. So, so, so what we have here is we have this kind of back and forth, this reciprocal, this reciprocal kind of back and forth. I want to glorify the Father. I, I love the Son. I want, so they're both, they're both glorifying each other in this way. Now let's ask the question about what does the Son think about the Holy Spirit? Look at 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. This is an interesting passage because it says, Jesus is saying, I will give you another helper, okay? Now, there's two words in Greek for another. One is heteros, and one is alos. Heteros means, I want another of a different kind. Alos means another of the same kind. So, like, if I went, and I went today, and I wanted an egg salad sandwich. I like egg salad. But I went, um, I went out, and let's say I went to, like, Subway, and you guys are like, you're grossing me out already. Okay, here's the deal. And I went, and I got egg salad, and, um, and it wasn't good. Like, the egg salad had turned. You know, like, you get the idea. It's bad. Bad egg salad. And I took my sandwich up, and I said, hey, I want another sandwich. I would say heteros. I want a, I want a different one than this one. But if it came out, and it was awesome, and the egg salad was perfect, like, I love good egg salad, so, and you just, like, I downed it, and I went up, and I went back up, and I said, I want another sandwich. What I'm saying is, I want another of the same kind, right? All right, a little Greek lesson here. In this passage, when Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, he uses the word that means another of the same kind, which means, who is the first helper? If the Holy Spirit is, this, is another helper, the first helper is the Son. And Jesus is saying, look, I, I love, I, I have come, the Father has sent me to do this work, and now I'm going to ask him to send the Holy Spirit because I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to be this person who is called alongside, who has been asked to come and help. The word parakletos means advocate, mediator, counselor, helper. And Jesus was the first, but he says, look, I'm going to be going up to the Father. You guys are going to need another one, and the Holy Spirit is the guy. And so the Son, the Son loves the Spirit. The Son trusts the Spirit. In short, he trusts the Holy Spirit. He thinks, and if Jesus is going to ask, does Jesus ever ask for anything in, that's not in his name? And what does it mean to pray in his name? It means to glorify the Father. And so we have this we have this thing, he says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. Look, and this is the interesting thing about this family. Not only do the Father and the Son mutually love each other and honor each other and trust each other, and that Jesus is going to say, I love the Holy Spirit, but there's also the sense in which I will ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit, that he will actually bring the Father into what he thinks about the Holy Spirit. So he's not only loving the Holy Spirit or trusting the Holy Spirit, but he brings the Father into what he says. And so what we're going to see here is that if we just take just a pause for a second, that the Trinity is a family, and it emphasizes relationships, and these relationships are characterized by what we call love. And you're like, well, how do you know what love is? And here's the deal. We don't know what love is, like, I, I sound like Forrest Gump. I know what love is, right? Okay. We don't know until God reveals it to us. And he reveals it to us by means of how God relates in his own family. 
how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate. And these relationships are characterized by mutual honoring. I want to shine a light on the Father. I want to glorify the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I trust the Holy Spirit. So you have this mutual honoring and reciprocal trust. There's, I want to honor you, you want to honor me, and I trust you. Jesus trusts the Father, total faith in the Father. The Father has faith in the Son that Jesus is going to go and accomplish the mission that he's sent to do. There's honoring, mutual honor, and reciprocated trust. I guess this is where we go to this emphasis on relationships, that this, these relationships are characterized by love. And what we're going to see, what we're going to do, is we're going to look and see how is it that these members, these relationships, how is it that these persons of the Trinity, how do they love each other? And what we're going to see is that as we understand this, that we will understand when John says in 1 John that God is love. We know that because of the way this family behaves and relates to each other. All right, here we go. You guys, if you're not with me, it's just hang on, okay? Um, so what does the Father, let's keep going, let's keep going with this. How, what does the Father think about the Holy Spirit? It says this in 1426, but the Helper whom the Holy Spirit... The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So what does the Father do? He sends the Holy Spirit. By sending the Spirit, he trusts the Spirit. He sends the Spirit the same way that he sends the Son. And the Father sends the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. He sends the Spirit in the name of Jesus in my name, and you can see then that the Father is sending the Spirit, the Father is sending the Spirit, but he's doing it at the request of the Son. Here's another thing about love. Love listens. Love believes that you can ask, and that the, and the Father will listen and act then on your own behalf. So there's mutual honoring, there's reciprocated trust, and there's an ability to ask and and expect that you'll be listened to and that someone will act on your behalf. What is the Holy Spirit? Actually, what, ask this question. Uh, what, if, if the Father is sending the Holy Spirit, what does the Father then think about the Holy Spirit? Let's see. 1426. We've done this. See, this is, look, there's a lot of arrows. Have you not noticed that there's a lot of arrows? Thank you very much. Okay. Hang with me here. So what is the Holy Spirit all about? Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about the Father. The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father sends the Son, sends the Holy Spirit. We talked about what the Son is all about. The Son is all about glorifying the Father. Ask anything in my name and that I'll do that the Father may be glorified. So let's ask a question about what is the Holy Spirit all about? And there's a couple passages when we talk about the Holy Spirit. We already read one. 1426. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What is the Holy Spirit's purpose? The Holy Spirit's purpose is to point to Jesus, to remind about Jesus. He will remind you of all the things that I have said. In a similar way that the Son is about glorifying the Father, the Holy Spirit is about shining a light on the sun. Look at what else it says in 1527. 1526, when the helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit's purpose is to bear witness about the Son, to shine a light on the Son. So the Son wants to glorify the Father. The Holy Spirit is about bearing witness of Jesus, reminding people of what Jesus has said. What does he think about the Son? I'm excited about, I mean, if you, if you ask the Holy Spirit, what do you think about the Son? He's like, I'm excited about the Son. I love the Son. I want to shine a light on the Son. I want you to know, I want you to understand Jesus the most you can. And it's my job to teach you about Jesus and remind you of everything that he has said. That's what the Holy Spirit is here to do. And if the Father is sending the Spirit, here, I mean, here's the other thing. So the Holy Spirit, I'm excited about the Son. I love the Son. I want to shine a light on the Son. I want to remind you of what the Son has said. But we also see here, if the Father is sending the Holy Spirit, that the Father is shining a light on the Son by means of the Holy Spirit. So he's loving the Son through the Holy Spirit. Again, there's look, a lot of arrows, a lot of love. Hang with me again, okay? So we, we go through this. What do we see here? What does the Holy Spirit think about the Father? We've got to fill in some more of these. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. What does this Holy Spirit do? What the Holy Spirit is going to do, there's this really interesting thing within this, within this family and within these co-equal Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equally eternal, equally powerful, same substance, they're all deity, but we have this really interesting thing that happens with the Holy Spirit as well as the Son, and that is this. The Spirit, actually in, in two members of the Trinity, will voluntarily yield their wills to the will of the Father. Look at what it says. When the Spirit of truth comes in 1613, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit's not a rogue operator. The Spirit is going to listen. In the same way that the, the Father listens to the request of the Son, the same thing is going to happen, that the Holy Spirit is going to listen to the Father. And then going to act on what the Father says. He comes at the request of the Father. So one of, his fun, one of these functions is that he yields to the Father. And this is where it gets interesting, is that two persons of the Trinity, the Son and the Holy Spirit, have voluntarily yielded their will to the Third. And this idea of voluntary yielding, I want to make sure, oh, let's go back here. One verse um, that we've already looked at, or one verse that is, has proven difficult in John, look at 1428, just turn there really quickly, 1428. 1428 says, You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. This has been a difficult verse. Like, how can you say that Jesus is co-equal with God if Jesus is saying the Father is greater than I? Jesus is co-equal in substance, power, eternality. How is the Father greater? 
This is, this is difficult to imagine unless you, have this, unless you have this understanding that Jesus has actually voluntarily yielded his will to the will of the Father. And in this family, it is the will of the Father that is done. The Holy Spirit does not speak on his own initiative. And think about the words of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will. And so we have in this family, in this family, part of this love relationship is that even though, and, and even though the Father is being yielded to, he still listens to their requests. He still acts on their behalf. He loves them. This isn't an issue of like grabbing for power. There's a sense in which there's a voluntary yielding and that the Father will listen and act on their behalf. And what you see essentially, here's the deal. What, what is important about the Trinity? The Trinity is a family, and it's a family where relationships are characterized by love. What is love? We don't know until we look at this. Love looks like voluntary yielding, mutually honoring, reciprocating trust, listening to someone else, acting on their behalf, revealing more and more about them. That's what love is. I think one of, one of the most beautiful things, I think, as I reflect back on my own life, like just some friendships that I've had at, at Biola. One, I had this friend, his name was Saji Uman. He was an Indian guy, Saji Uman. He was such a great guy, and he still is today. I don't know where he is, but Saji, Saji was a great connector of people. And I remember one of my, one of my good friends in college, Dave, I would have never met if it weren't for Saji. Because Saji was like, Craig, you gotta meet Dave. You gotta meet Dave. Dave's an awesome guy. You guys would you guys would be great friends. And then he told Dave, Dave, you gotta meet Craig. Craig's an awesome guy. Like Saji was doing this. Like when you want to shine a light on someone because they're awesome, that's love. And when we do that, whether it's with your spouse, it look romantic, right? Obviously romantically, like our spouses, we think of love when we think of that, but just in community. When we do those sorts of things, when we do this kind of love, when we honor someone, when we listen to them, this is when we participate in the love of God. What is important about the Trinity? It's these relationships that are characterized by love. Reciprocating trust. Do you trust me? I trust you. Will you say nice things about me? I will say nice things about you. And not only if and when you do, but I'm glad to do it. That's what love looks like. Listening to someone. Asking. Being willing to act on behalf of someone. Revealing more and more about each other. As we kind of fill in the rest of this. Uh, here, let's go back here. More, more lines. Okay, so the Holy Spirit comes at the request of the Father to bear witness of the Son. So the Holy Spirit loves the Son by means of the Father. By bearing witness of the Son, if, if the Holy Spirit is shining a light on the Son, then what's happening? The Father's being glorified, right? So we have that other line, and we fill in this last one here. The Father, by sending the Holy Spirit, oh, Jesus, by asking for the Holy Spirit, is asking, he th if, if Jesus is going to ask for the Holy Spirit, He's not going to ask for anything that doesn't glorify the Father, so he glorifies the Father by means of the Holy Spirit. There's just a lot of love going on in the Trinity. 
There's a lot of love here. And this, look, this is not only true, it's beautiful. Doctrinal statements can be true, but I got news for you, they're not beautiful. They kind of, we kind of stumble through them, right? Analogies might be beautiful, but they're not necessarily true. These relationships and understanding these relationships are not only true, but God is beautiful when we understand them and when we live them out and when we experience it. Why would we go to analogies or just, do, or just do, they all have their place, but why would we just go there and forget about the truth and beauty of who God is and what Jesus thinks is important about the Trinity. On the last night of Jesus' life, this is what he wants to emphasize. He wants people to know what love is and that God is love. Now, here's the deal. Look, this is beautiful. This is awesome. But it's not, it's not even the last bit of this. What, like, there, there's, there's something more to this. The, there's a punch to this. There's a power to this. And here's the deal. Hang with me. And that is that we actually find ourselves being incorporated into this family. Now, you're like, like, whoop, whoop, like heresy alert, Mormon alert. Like, I'm not, okay, here's the deal. Hang with me, okay? Here's the deal. Metaphysically, here's, Jesus metaphysically, okay, co-equal the substance of deity, co-equal with the Father and the, and the Holy Spirit, all-powerful, eternal. I will never be any of those. Neither will you. You will never be any of those things. But you will experience the love of this family. You will be adopted into this family. You will be brought up into this family, and this family will be the place where you are incorporated, where you participate in this, that we share, you will share in the relationships of the Trinity. We become part of these relationships. It's described in this way. Look at 14.2. In 14.2, the way Jesus even starts this out, he says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Where? In the household of God. You have been prepared a place in the household of God so that God can be your Father, Jesus is your brother, and the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence in your life. I go to prepare a place for you. It's the first thing he says. It's the point. It's the point of the Trinity. I mean, the Trinity is awesome and beautiful on its own, but the functionality, the power of it, is that we can actually come into this family, and what happens when we come into this family is we get transformed. 1421. Uh, I, I go to... Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm behind. I'm off, I'm off script. Um... Okay, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, in 1421, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, 
Uh, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So here's the thing. The, all these arrows, you're like, there's a lot of arrows up there, Craig. I get it. But what ends up happening is that when you get brought into this family, these arrows start pointing at you. The same love with which the Father loves the Son or the Son loves the Father is now pointing at you. I go to prepare a place for you. And as we see that it says that he who loves me will be loved by my Father as well. And in 14.23 it says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. And what Jesus is referring to is the coming of the Holy Spirit. How is it that the Father and the Son make their home in us? It's by means of the Holy Spirit with whom we are indwelled. And so we find ourselves, look, you're an idiot. I'm an idiot. We're horrible. We're horrible people. And God seems to think, you know what? You know what the best thing for them in their idiothood, in their sinfulness, you know what the best thing for them is? Is what we're going to do is we're just going to bring them into the family. And you know what we're going to do? We're just going to love them up. We're going to love them up. And as we love them up, here's the deal. There's transformative power in being loved by God. You come up here, you come up into this family, and look, you've got your own ways. You've got your own, like, in our own families of origin, like, we've learned how to get our way, have we not? We maybe learned some unhealthy habits from our families of origin, maybe some bad eating habits, maybe some bad ways of, like, anger or resentment or things like that. Like, I, okay, it's just me. It's just me. You guys all have awesome families, perfect families. It's only me. Sorry, Mom and Dad, watching at our Coeur d'Alene campus. Like, no. Okay, you guys get it. But we all, have these, we all have these ways of relating. Here's the deal. When you get adopted into a new family, all of those things start to stand out. And here's the thing. The father's like, hey, the son's like, hey, this isn't the way we do it in this family. Watch, watch me. Watch the way I do it. The Holy Spirit is like, hey, this isn't how we do it here. Let me help to let me help to show you a new way. Let me help to remind you of what Jesus is like. And all the while, the Father is like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you so deeply. I love you so deeply. I'm going to send, this is horrible, but this is bad theology. Two-thirds of the Trinity has been sent to show how you are loved. Salvation, look, salvation is this. Salvation is being reconciled to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Father says, I'm going to love you, I'm going to send my Son, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to love you, I'm going to adopt you. The Apostle Paul calls it adoption. Galatians 4, I don't know if I have it up here, but I'm just going to read it for you. The Apost Galatians 4, don't turn there. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. Do you hear how Trinitarian that is? God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Father, Father, 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave. You are a son. And if a son, then an heir. We can't understand salvation unless we understand the relationship and the love of the Trinity. When God wants to transform a life, he says, we got to bring him into the family. And we got to love him. We got to love him up. The same kind of love that I love the son, I'm going to love them. I'm going to give them an example of an elder brother, and I'm going to give them the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to, they're going to be reconciled, and we come into this family, and we start to see ourselves begin to change. Because there is nothing more powerful to change a person's life than being unconditionally loved and unconditionally accepted. There is nothing, there is no power more powerful on the face of this planet than unconditional love. You might say, look, I'm a pretty good manipulator. I know how to get people to change. Don't, don't count me out. Don't sleep on me, Pastor Craig. I know how to change people. I can guilt them. I can manipulate them. I know how to get my way. Like, look, I know how to do that. Here's the deal. God knows that that is not the way people change. Otherwise, all, everything that God would do would just be manipulating us and guilting us. That's not the way it works. God says, if I want someone to change, really change, change from the inside out, then we got to love them up. And you know what starts happening? Here's the deal. As we are in here, as we're in this family, I'm going to land the plane here, right here. Okay, as we're here in the family. Oh, by the way, adoption. John 14, 18, in our passage today. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus said that. Even before the apostle Paul talked about adoption, he says, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will adopt you. I will bring you to my father. I am not going to leave you as orphans. God, I mean, it's, look, these things are absolutely amazing. But here's what happens. Once you're in this environment of unconditional acceptance, of unconditional love, of being out of your family of origin, which may or may not have been like that. Some people have awesome families. I had a great family growing up. It's not perfect, but some people didn't have a great family, and they need to be reparented, and that's what happens in the Trinity. We, get, we relearn how to love. And once we do that, we begin to mirror the activities and attitudes of the members of the Trinity. We start to do the things that they do. And again, we don't become, I don't become God, I don't become the Messiah, but I can at least mirror the actions and attitude of Jesus. It's what we call growing in godliness. Like people become godly when they mirror the attitudes and activity of the persons of the Trinity. How do we mirror the activity of Jesus? Jesus says, in 14.12, we do the works of Jesus. In 14.13, we pray in the name of Jesus. We want to glorify the Father. In 15.8, he says, you bear much fruit and you glorify the Father. In 15.20, he says, look, they persecuted me and they hated me. They're going to do it to you too. You get to mirror, I hate to break it to you, you get to mirror the action and attitudes of Jesus when you participate in those things. We say like Jesus, not my will be done, but your will be done. How do we mirror the Holy Spirit? Like the Holy Spirit, we remind other people of what Jesus says. I have the distinct 
privilege today of, of mirroring the attitudes and activity of the Holy Spirit, at least the activity. I don't know about my attitude today, but my activity. I am reminding you of what Jesus has said. I am mirroring the activity of the Holy Spirit. And whenever you do that, you are mirroring the activity of the Holy Spirit. And like the Father, the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And we say, this is Jesus in whom I'm well pleased. We mirror the activity of the Father. Forget eggs. Forget pert plus. I won't say forget doctrinal statements. They're helpful in, in, in some ways. But the beauty. But God is, God is not only true, but God is beautiful. And this is beautiful. And this is what when we think about the Trinity, why do we have, why, why is the Trinity the Trinity? The Trinity is the Trinity because God wants to transform our lives by means of the love relationships that exist within the Godhead. And on the last night of Jesus' life, he says, I really want you to get this. Let's pray. Let's pray. I'll invite the worship team to come on up. Father, we, I know this is a lot, and this is, um, a lot of stuff we said a lot of things about doctrine and there's a lot of arrows <laughs> but father really what we want to do is we just we want a vision of you we want a, the truth about you and we imagine that if we're going to see the truth about you that it would also be beautiful father you love jesus you have sent the holy spirit you've sent jesus Jesus, you want to glorify the Father. Holy Spirit, you want to shine a light on Jesus. And you love us. You love us. You love us. May we participate in that, be transformed by that, begin to grow in our godliness as we mirror the attitudes and activity of you, Father, of you, Jesus, of you, Holy Spirit. And today we pray all of these things, that the Father may be glorified 